It's very hard, I think, to believe sometimes that we are precious in the Lord's sight, and yet I think when we look at our own children and our grandchildren, uh, we get a sense of, of what that means. If we could just really embrace that truth, it would make a big difference in our lives. Thank you for leading us in worship today. Let's turn in our Bibles to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Our son Wade just got uh, over COVID, and uh, he's been living in the basement of their home. So for two weeks, his wife, Lauren, and their two children, ages three and one, have been upstairs while Wade has been by himself downstairs in the basement. For two weeks, Lauren has had to do absolutely everything. I mean, she even prepares his meals, puts them on a tray, puts them on the stairs of the basement for Wade to come and get. And she's had to take care of the little three-year-old and the one-year-old, which individually are full-time jobs. She's had to run the household. She's had to run her own home-based business. She has done everything. And this past Monday, she texted us a picture of Wade's last quarantine meal. And uh, true to form, it was a very unhealthy meal. Our Wade has never learned to eat anything that's healthy. But at the end of this meal, he texted us and said, uh, two things have become very clear to me during this period of isolation. First, Lauren had the tougher job. Second, God made us for community. Now, that's absolutely true. God did make us for community. We, we're not meant to do well without the investment of other people's lives in ours and our investment in other people. God made us for community. But last week, as you saw, because the church is, is a family, like every other family, sometimes for the sake of our children, we have to discipline. We have to take the very hard measure of disciplining our children so that they don't continue to harm themselves. Paul told the Corinthian church, there's a man in your church you have got to love well, and that means you've got to do tough things. You have got to take the difficult step of disciplining this man because he is harming himself and he is harming others. And the church did not do anything. And so what happens then is, is the man who needed to be disciplined steps up and, and really personally attacks the Apostle Paul, questioning his credentials, questioning his ability really to, to lead, questioning his apostleship. And no one steps up to defend Paul. So Paul goes to Ephesus where he writes the Corinthian church a pretty tough letter. And in that letter, evidently, he said, look, this man is causing harm to himself and to others. You have got to love him well enough to take the hard step to discipline him. And finally, the church does what God calls us to do, what we do in every family if we love our children well. And that is... Uh, they did discipline the man, and, and by God's grace, uh, this man did repent. He turned away from his destructive ways, turned back to Christ, and turned back to the church. But now what you're going to see is, is Paul writing them to say, look, now you must forgive and welcome him home. The discipline 
is over. The time to forgive and to welcome home is here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs or his ways. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we... uh, sometimes uh, avoid uh, the tough things. And because of that, we miss out, quite frankly, on the work that you want to do in our lives. And so, Lord, uh, thank you that you do help us to understand what it means to live as a family, to live as the body of Christ. And thank you that you do use tough things at times to, to pull us back from our own destructive ways. Teach us today, we pray, Lord, uh, to forgive Father, as we have been forgiven, enable us to forgive those who hurt us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul wrote sometimes in some fairly difficult ways to understand it. In verse 5 is one of those verses that if you take it out of context, it's really hard to understand. It looks as though Paul is saying that this man who personally attacked him really didn't cause him any pain. I mean, if you read it word for word, it says, Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me. But if you keep reading, what you will see is that it makes sense that what Paul is actually saying is this. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not just to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. And so here's what's going on. Paul is saying, look, this one man's sin, and it was a pretty, it is a shockingly evil sin, quite frankly, uh, was not just harming this man. It was affecting the entire church. Now, how is that possible? I want you to listen to something that Paul wrote in his first letter to the church at Corinth. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I mean, do you you see the the, the sense, the the unity that is there? There is a relationship among the true members of God's church that is unlike any other relationship in any other organization. The church is not a club. The church is not a team. The church is not a service organization. The church is the body of Christ. We are members of one another. We are that deeply connected to one another, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4. We really are a family. 
that is joined together with Christ as our head and we as the members of Christ, the body of Christ. And so if I can put it this way, even though I know it's an overused phrase in this day, we really are in this thing together. And and nowhere is that more true uh, than in the body of of Christ. We, we, We really are in this thing together. We are deeply connected by God's Spirit to one another. And so the way that we treat each other really does affect the whole church. We don't live in isolation. And what we're going to see in this passage is that the way we treat those who have sinned against us does affect the whole church, whether we forgive or not. It makes a difference, not just in your life and in the life of the person who has sinned against you, but it does impact the church as a whole. In verse 6, What Paul is saying to the church is is that it is time now to forgive, to welcome this man home, back into the fold, the fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ, the church there in Corinth. The discipline that they had implemented, the hard task, has done exactly what God intends discipline to do, it, it, it turns us from uh, those things that will cause us harm, and it turns us back to Christ and back to uh, the people of God. Uh, this man had stopped his destructive behavior. He had stopped living in a way that was harmful to himself, harmful uh, to others, harmful to the church. And so what Paul then says in verse 7 is this, you should turn to forgive and comfort him. Don't hold this man's sin against him any longer. That time is done. It is now time to welcome him home. And what we see in this passage is uh, that Paul gives three reasons very quickly. He gives three reasons why uh, we are to forgive. And it, first of all, is for the sinner's sake. Now, look, when I use that term sinner, I'm using it simply in the way that we understand sinner. We are all sinners, but here's a man who has done something that warranted church discipline. So we do so. We forgive for the sinner's sake. We do so for the church's sake because his sin does affect the whole church. And we do so for the Lord's sake because it grieves the Lord. And and though Paul is addressing church discipline here, uh, what he does for us in this passage. The three reasons he gives for us to forgive while we must forgive uh, really do fit most of the situations uh, in which we have opportunity to forgive. So let's, let's take them one at a time, beginning with the need to forgive for the sinner's sake. And, and I want you to see this. Paul is this great theologian. He's, he's brilliant, but he has this incredibly compassionate heart. And this is where you see Paul's heart for this man who had personally attacked him. Turn, Paul says in verse 7, to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Then in verse 8, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. You know, when God brings 
conviction upon us. It does lead to sorrow. And yet what Paul is saying is if you don't then express to him the very grace that God has expressed to him, uh, you're leaving him out there in his sorrow rather than restoring him so that he can begin to walk away from that sorrow and return to, to joy. And so really what, what you've got then is this. You know, when someone sins against us, especially in significant ways, when we don't forgive, oftentimes what's going on in our hearts is that we feel like we're better than the person who has sinned against us. And so when Paul says it's time to forgive, he's saying if there's any self-righteousness remaining in you, if you see yourself as better than this man who did this awful thing, uh, then you need to turn from that. You need to own that. You own your own sin so that you can then forgive this man. But he's, but he's saying more than that. It's not a matter of simply saying, I forgive you. It's not a matter of doing something externally or mechanically. It is a forgiveness from the heart. What Paul is saying is like he has for this man, like Christ has for us, you have to express real affection for this man. And that affection is, is seen in, in an unwillingness to see the man drown in his own sorrow. I mean, you, your heart goes out to him as you see the conviction has brought this sorrow. And so you welcome him home because you can't stand uh, what you see in, in his life. It pains you to see his pain. And you see that affection in the the heartfelt desire uh, to see this man have a fresh start and a new beginning. Paul Tripp puts it in such a wonderful way. Uh, One of the most beautiful, one of the most hopeful, one of the most encouraging gospel themes that we see throughout Scripture is this theme of fresh starts and new beginnings. Fresh starts and new beginnings, they're, they're a hallmark of the, the, of the grace that we see from God, of the rescuing, forgiving, restoring, and, and transforming power of God's grace. I mean, you, when you look throughout Scripture, you see this all the time, and, and even the great men and women of God. Think about Moses. For him, a fresh start looked like a burning bush calling him back to Egypt to liberate his people, but this time by God's power and not his own. For David, a fresh start meant being confronted by a prophet and then finally him owning the horror of his sin and being forgiven and continuing in his kingship. For Peter, we saw this just recently, a fresh start meant walking with the Lord alongside the Sea of Galilee, as the Messiah forgave him three times for his having denied him three times. And then sending him back again into the service of the Lord. And for Paul, who wrote this wonderful letter, but very difficult letter, very painful letter, a fresh start and a new beginning looked like a blinding light on a road to Damascus. Paul had been persecuting God's church. Christ comes to him with words of forgiveness. He turns him around and he commissions him 
to be one of the great leaders in God's church. And so we forgive for uh, the sinner's sake. It is one of the ways that God gives the, the sinner, all of us, a fresh start and, and a new beginning. But there's more to it. As I, I've said several times today, uh, our sin affects others in the body of Christ. And so we also forgive for the church's sake. In, in verse 11, Paul tells us to forgive so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs or his devices or his ways that he seeks to thwart God's work in our lives. What Paul is saying is that when there is an unforgiving spirit in a congregation, Satan is given a, a beachhead in that congregation, a foothold. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4, we give an opportunity those are awful sounding words. We give an opportunity to the devil unless we are kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. One of Satan's devices is to accuse believers who have sinned so that they feel hopeless. I mean, you felt it. Satan comes along and reminds you not just of this sin, but of all the ones you've committed in the past. As though you're no longer worthy of being a child of God or worthy of, of service. And, and so here's the difference between God and, and Satan. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, he does so to turn us from our destructive ways back to Christ. Where there is life and health and wholeness and holiness. But when, when Satan comes along and accuses you, he does so to dishearten you, to bring you to despair. And that's why it is so vital that, that we express the forgiveness that we have received to those who have harmed us, who have, for, in many ways, those who have hurt us. And, and here's, here's the really, I mean, kind of eye-opening news. If we don't forgive, we give an open door to Satan to reign in our lives and in our church. But if we do forgive, we give God the open door to reign. I've seen this. It really, really, really does work. It is one of the most beautiful ways that God extends grace to those in desperate need. A couple in my previous church were on the brink of divorce. The husband traveled the world for business and committed adultery every chance he got. His uh, wife found out, and so she paid him back. God's people got involved. There was discipline. There was repentance, and there was forgiveness, amazingly, between husband and wife. But, but here is what I saw as we walked through this with them. It was the forgiveness of God's people towards this couple that gave them the hope that God wasn't done with them or done with their marriage because they saw in the people of God, the grace of God. And, and quite frankly, every time after that, as I would see them walk through the halls of our congregation hand in hand uh, with smiles on their faces, I would marvel that God could be so good to them through his people, that his grace is so good that he enabled the people of God to extend that beautiful grace to this couple. And the people who knew what was going on 
were so strengthened and encouraged in their own faith as they saw God at work. The church is impacted, not just by our sin, but by the way we forgive. It makes a difference. Finally, we forgive for the Lord's sake. It is a matter of obedience. Paul makes it clear, verse 9. But the thing that we see, that we must see, is that Paul grieved over the sin of the Corinthian church. I mean, he loved them as though they were his own children. But the more important thing is that was just a tiny expression of the grief of our Lord over the Corinthian church, of the grief of our Lord over our own sin. When we sin, we sin certainly against God's people, but most of all, we sin when we don't forgive. We, we sin against God himself. And, and that's why Paul goes on to say in verse 10, I forgive for your sake. I forgive as an example for you to see the grace of God at work. But then he says this, I do so in the presence of Christ. In other words, I do so in the presence of the one who looks down on our forgiveness with with wonderful approval. The one who has forgiven us so that we will then extend that forgiveness to others. The one who taught us that forgiven people forgive. If we are truly forgiven, even though it may be very, 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 very difficult, especially for the tough things that have been done to us, eventually we will forgive Because the forgiveness of our own Father, our Heavenly Father, affects our heart in such a way that we want to forgive as He has forgiven us. And and that's really what Jesus meant when He said to His disciples, if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, you can read that incorrectly. It's, It's not that we are forgiven because we forgive someone else. It is that we are forgiven because our forgiving someone else is the evidence that we are the Father's child and have been forgiven. And the Father will always forgive his child. Here's the, the, the bottom line. Here's one of the best ways I can think of to understand our response to those who do repent. A friend put it uh, this way, we are to rush to his side and put our arms around him. You know, think about it like this. We as a church, in, in effect, are to be like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. You know the story, the father, heartbroken, but, but knew he had to let his son run away. And the son filled his belly with the world. And he got to the end of his rope. And he wished he had even the food that the pigs ate back home. And so he turns toward home. And where do we find the father? The father has never stopped looking for his son. And when he sees him on the horizon coming home, the father runs towards him. Westminster, when when someone is running at breakneck speed away from the gospel, uh, we don't say good riddance. We, We must, as a church like this father, look to the horizon and say, Lord, bring him back 
uh, when he's gotten to the end of his own strength, when he's, uh, when he's lost hope that he's able to live this life well apart from you. Bring him back. And as soon as we see the, the tip of his head turn towards home, as we see that person turn towards the cross, in that moment we rush towards him and we welcome him home. Westminster, we must be. It, it is not a decision to be made. It is a command to be obeyed. We must be a congregation of people characterized by forgiveness. And that means, first of all, that we have to receive and embrace and live in light of the forgiveness and the welcome home that our Heavenly Father has given to us. But then we, we need... We need to extend that same forgiveness, that same grace to those who have hurt us. It will make a difference in our lives, in the life of the person we forgive. It will make a difference to the church. It will make a difference to the Lord. We really are in this thing together. And when you forgive, when you forgive the one who has harmed you, you give an open door for Christ to reign in your heart and in your church. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I know my own heart and know at times when I have really wrestled with forgiveness and uh, have failed. And yet, it's not a choice. It is a, a command to be obeyed. And Father, I know that there are people today who have been hurt deeply, and uh, there are some probably saying, you can't mean I have to forgive this or that. Oh, Lord, give grace. Give grace that they may be enabled to forgive even that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Stand, let's sing together in response to the gospel.